This is season six of the Mini Culture Podcast. I'm your host, John Gebertatios. Minnesota's Boundary Waters is the most visited wilderness area in the country. Last summer, the entire Boundary Waters canoe area wilderness was shut down due to wildfires. While some view wildfires simply as destructive forces of nature, fire has played a significant role for the indigenous population and in shaping what are considered today to be some of the most stunning landscapes in the country. In today's episode, KFAI producer Joe Fredericks learns about the history of fire in the forests of the Boundary Waters. Ricky Defoe intently watches orange flames dancing near the white snow. Icy waves on Lake Superior roll nearby. It's all familiar sights and sounds, things that have been heard for generations among the Anishinaabe people who live here. Defoe, an elder from the Fond du Lac Band of Ojibwe, looks to the north as smoke from the small fire made of birch and maple drifts overhead. So I just wanted to sound out a little few things there. First off, uh, Ojibwe, we always make the tobacco offerings here this uh fire here was made in a good way we we made our tobacco offerings the tobacco that was given here from joe gave the tobacco they brought a as a gift um a lake trout here so we want to honor the spirit of the fish um and also in in our talk we want to talk about a few of the things that i know a little bit about fire I've come to Duluth to speak with Defoe about fire, what it means, both small fires such as the one in front of us and large wildfires that have made headlines across the Boundary Waters in recent years. One only needs to look back to the summer of 2021 to see how impactful wildfires can be in this region, including the massive Greenwood fire that scorched nearly 27,000 acres and led in part to the closure of the popular Canoe Country Wilderness. And while some view them simply as destructive forces of nature, wildfires played a significant role in shaping what are considered today to be some of the most stunning landscapes across the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness. More commonly referred to as the BWCA or BWCAW, or simply as the Boundary Waters, this remote pocket of northeastern Minnesota is a maze of lakes, rivers, bogs, and dense forests. It's known throughout the world as a unique and amazing place for outdoor recreation. It's also a place where wildfires are common and even necessary. Some of these fires were started intentionally by the indigenous people who have lived here for centuries. These fires were utilized as a tool of sorts to create, shape, and even transform the landscape to provide a desired outcome. Other times, the fire started naturally, lightning strikes, for example. Historically speaking, across the 1854 ceded territory, which includes all of Superior National Forest and the BWCA, indigenous people have for generations engaged in the practice of intentionally lighting smaller controlled fires with the intent of a specific outcome. These types of fires, commonly referred to as a process of cultural burning, were set with specific outcomes in mind, including 
for food, clothing, canoe-making, and other means of living with the land through the use of fire. Here's Defoe sharing more on this. Fire comes in many forms. Lightning strikes cause some fires. This is natural law. We say ashkigin, new growth. And those things are needed in the, in the forest. The forest needs the fire also to live and thrive and prosper and regenerate. That is what we think about when we see the fire. It's not so destructive, but it's mismanagement. When we see the ceded territories, um, the Ojibwe ceded vast amounts of territory to the U.S. government, and we see the mismanagement of these uh, lands it's, it's kind of sad and the traditional and cultural practices of, of fire use as a utility in um, these forests are, are, are needed again. So for some reason there's still that piece where they look down upon indigenous peoples and the, the knowledge that we carry as inferior. And uh, that seems to be a long-held problem here in America. What does it mean, then, if fire is viewed as an enemy rather than a part of the forest? What does it mean for the future of the Boundary Waters if we constantly treat fire as an adversarial approach? These are questions being asked by researchers currently studying fire in the Boundary Waters area. Regardless of how alarming a wildfire might be, even in a remote setting like the Boundary Waters, A team of researchers from the upper Midwest continue to ask if certain fires should be allowed to burn in order to create healthy forests in certain pockets of Minnesota. Furthermore, the researchers are exploring the notion that perhaps humans should be the ones starting some of these fires in the forest, as was done historically. Fire is a fundamental factor of northern forests. And when I say fundamental factor, I mean that the species that grow in the Boundary Waters and elsewhere, they have evolutionarily adapted to fire. That's Dr. Evan Larson, a professor at the University of Wisconsin-Platteville. Larson is a dendrochronologist, which essentially means he studies tree rings to learn about the past. Larson, along with Professor Kurt Kiffmuller and research specialist Lane Johnson from the University of Minnesota, are leading the research analyzing the historical use of fire in the Boundary Waters. They've spent the better part of the past decade researching the history of fire in the federally protected Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness. Their research focuses on what it would mean if landscapes that we now consider wilderness were, at least in part, the legacies of human activity. Though it is now frequented year-round by visitors from all over the world, this was a land long inhabited by Minnesota's first resident and indigenous communities. This history dates back some 10,000 years to when Paleo-Indians hunted and gathered here. Over the course of thousands of years, other native populations moved in and out of the region, including the Ojibwe people. Despite the comings and goings of various human inhabitants, the one constant in the history of the Boundary Waters is fire. We know that Anishinaabe groups in this region um, have used fire and engaged with the landscape through the process of fire for a host of reasons, whether it's opening travel corridors or maintenance of blueberry patches. And so we know that there's relationships here. And so as we get into this research, it's important again to acknowledge those who have come before because we're certainly not the first people to consider this. 
The research area where the team works includes more than 70 locations in the BWCA. Though their work is groundbreaking in how it could impact forest management, all of those involved who I spoke with for this project are quick to point out that their research builds on that of iconic Minnesota forester and BWCA legend Myron Bud Heinzelman. Heinzelman was a Forest Service researcher. He spent a lot of years in the Boundary Waters and published some of the most important papers in the early field of fire ecology. He offered up ideas that were formative for thinking about fire as a process in forest ecosystems. Over the course of many years researching the history of fire in the Boundary Waters region, Heinzelman made a collection of maps illustrating the areas where fires occurred. And these maps have individually identified stands of trees that he outlined based on aerial photos. And for a huge number of these, he went to these sites, looked at the age of the forest, and used those forest ages to estimate when was the last time that a big fire burned through these sites. Uh, from this work, an idea of a shifting landscape mosaic, where fire is a really important role for renewing forest landscapes, shifting the structure. Literally following in the footsteps of Heinzelman at various stages of the ongoing study, Larson and his collaborators traveled by canoe and on foot across the BWCA using hand saws and other non-motorized tools to study dead trees looking for evidence of fires. It was a laborious task, Larson admits. Uh, we ate a lot of meals in the rain. We spent a lot of time out. And the most insidious thing about doing dendrochronological fieldwork in the Boundary Waters is that the longer your trip gets, the heavier your packs get. It's the opposite of what it's supposed to be. Food packs are supposed to get lighter. We kept filling them up with samples. The hard work was made easier by knowing that their research had the potential to reshape policy or at least influence it. The data collected shows, among other things, how fire could and perhaps should be used within the well-traveled wilderness area. The fire patterns illustrated by the team's data shows that fires were most common along the northern border of the Boundary Waters. In some places, the iconic stands of red pine that BWCA paddlers see today experienced fires every five to six years during the 1700s and 1800s. That's the period when fur trade networks were expanding across the region. A forest stand is essentially a community of trees. These trees are similar in size, age, and other defining characteristics. And by comparing various stands throughout the boundary waters, including sometimes on the same lakes, a pattern of fire history in the wilderness started to emerge. The driving narrative behind their research is indeed about the history of fire in the boundary waters. However, Larson says that along the way, the closer they started to work in the forest, the more they learned about how this land has been embraced by humans for centuries. You can see tool marks where these trees were injured to remove that bark. You can see scrape marks up the face and you can see resin pouring to the injured wound. This is the same resin that you would then gather and mix with animal fat and ash to make the gum that would patch birch bark canoes. As we talked with some of our community partners, um, we found there are all these other purposes for what you might use, the inner bark of red pine or the bark. 
You can go to a tree with a peel scar and you can actually see the etch marks of an awl that worked that resin off and then realize that you are literally standing in exactly the same place that somebody stood over 200 years ago to gather the resin from the face of this tree. What the researchers are curious about is would these stands of majestic pines be there without human intervention from hundreds of years ago? Furthermore, if fires weren't allowed to burn in the boundary waters, how long will the region's iconic forests and trees continue to thrive in the area? And we know the fires out west are changing, but what about here? Um, I paddled from snowbank around through the numbered lakes this summer with my daughter Bryn. It was our first just the two of us trip. A lot of smoke in the air, big pine along the border of this forest. Maybe they would have survived, but these fires are hot. And it seems to be from anecdotal evidence that they are very much homogenizing these landscapes, doing away with the complexity of the mosaic and bringing it all into the same condition. And so is this changing the wilderness character of the boundary waters? These same questions are being considered and asked as well by the agency in charge of the Boundary Waters. Hi, I'm Ellen Bogardis-Germaniak. I am the uh, Tofte District Ranger here on the Superior National Forest. We have more humans on the landscape and they're you know, per putting permanent structures and stuff out there. We have more humans using the landscape. The landscape has changed because of humans, whether for good or bad, and you know, it's your judgment. Again, in uh, the Boundary Waters here in Northeast Minnesota, we are in a boreal forest. About 90% of the superior forest is boreal forest on the southern edge. Boreal forests are defined as those growing in high latitude environments where freezing temperatures occur for about half of the year or more. Anyone who's ever visited the Boundary Waters from October through April can attest that indeed this description matches true. A boreal forest typically has tree species such as pine, spruce, and fir, with some broadleaf species such as poplar and birch also common. This boreal forest encircles much of the northern part of the planet. Indeed, it's part of what makes the Boundary Waters such a stunning landscape, with tall pines, birch, and spruce decorating the jagged bedrock that is exposed from the Earth's surface. The boreal forest in Minnesota has been altered at times by fire during the past 150 years, but even more so by logging at various times during the past century and a half prior to 1964. Even so, a disturbance to the forest of some kind is not inherently bad, the Tofty Ranger explains. So there's a lot of stuff going on here that the forest doesn't look like it did, you know, 200 years ago. So humans have changed the environment. Fire is still part of that landscape, and we need to keep fire or some type of disturbance in here to keep the forest healthy. Because when you have an unhealthy forest, then you just have major problems. You have wind throw, and you have insect problems, and then you have fires come through. That's the boreal forest um, rotation. Nice young boreal forest, then you get insects or fire um, or wind, and then it starts a nice young forest again, and it should be doing that every, well, about 100 years. To put it perhaps more simply, Fires remove unhealthy trees and potential threats to the forest. This makes way for new growth. By its own admission, and from its earliest days, the Forest Service has had a nationwide goal to minimize the size and number of wildland fires. In fact, there have been messages of sorts to make people think that fire is in and of itself always a bad thing in a forest. One careless second with a match, and America the Beautiful 
becomes America the ugly. Please, help prevent forest fires. The Wilderness Act of 1964 called for select federal lands to be managed to ensure that they were, quote, unimpaired for future use and enjoyment as wilderness, unquote. Although the Wilderness Act allowed for the control of fire, insects, and diseases on wilderness lands, some federal fire researchers and land managers began to question how aggressive firefighting could be compatible with the mandate to minimize the imprint of human interference on the land. The document describes the time period when Gifford Pinchot became chief of the Division of Forestry in 1898. Pinchot worked tirelessly to inform people about the complexity of wildfire, including the fact they can be simultaneously viewed as a threat and beneficial for forested areas like the Boundary Waters. As the decades rolled along, perhaps the steepest learning curve for the federal agency in charge of public lands like Superior National Forest was how to use fire as a forest management tool. America's journey to better understanding wildfires is described at length in Stephen Pine's book, Year of the Fires, the story of the Great Fires of 1910. The book is not a knock against the Forest Service. In fact, the Tofty Ranger herself suggested I read it when I visited her office one brutally cold afternoon in January along the North Shore of Lake Superior. It's right, so I'd love to fascinating. see it. You um, have a copy of it here? Yeah, I'm just remembering which book it is. It's a, is it a Stephen if, Pine book? Year of the Fire. I think... Is this it? In this region, using prescribed fire in the Boundary Waters as a means of reducing natural fuel loads reduces the risk of catastrophic wildfire. It also builds healthy, beautiful forests. Larson Johnson and their research in the Boundary Waters makes this very clear, and after speaking with them at length, they believe this to be true. The Forest Service knows this too. It's perhaps the general public that, in some cases, has yet to buy into that concept, it seems. You know, again, humans on the landscape between now, uh, 1910 and now, you know, there's more of us. We're more professional in firefighting, but you also have this expectation that my beautiful spot that I love so well, and my grandparents were here, that it's static in time. But a forest is always changing, and a forest is always growing. And I think that is when we should be part of the landscape, not separate from the landscape. As we put more wood on the small fire that we've been burning, Defoe, the Fond du Lac Band of Lake Superior Chippewa and other indigenous peoples near the Boundary Waters speak of fire not just in the sense of it being a tool that can help communities, but in spiritual tones as well. We know that Mother Earth is the source of life, not a resource. So we know that things are spiritual, we live a spiritual life. Natural laws, the wind takes this smoke and travels, it takes up our prayers, our offerings and travels. Natural law, spiritual law is what we live by as Ojibwe people. These four elements, earth, wind, fire, and water, are what life is all about for us as a people. Without fire, without the sun, there is no life. There is fire within the sun. Our mother earth, there's fire within. When we make our offerings and things, we acknowledge these. 
each of us has fire within us. Because at the end of life, we have a saying that the wind has stopped blowing, the water has stopped flowing. These things have stopped. The fire has been extinguished. So each of us has that within. Is that the energy? Is that the spirit? And we know that the fire brings life to us in one, one of the very important critical elements to life. Um, so we use that in many different ways, the fire. A series of wildfires closed the entire Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness in 2021. Many of the wildfires were caused by lightning strikes in and around the popular wilderness area. That being the case, suppression efforts to contain the fires went into full force almost immediately after the blazes were first detected. Planes, helicopters, and ground crews worked for weeks to put out the fires, most notably the Greenwood Fire outside the wilderness line near Isabella. As fires burned across northeastern Minnesota from the Gunflint Trail to Ely, the entire Boundary Waters region felt the impact of the 2021 wildfires. Thanks for joining us. We begin tonight with staggering new video inside the evacuation zone of the Greenwood Fire. This comes from one of the firefighting crews that had to leave because it just became too dangerous. You can see the flames have swallowed most of the forest floor. As the Greenwood Fire gains ground up north, a camera captured his flames moving toward one man's cabin. The fire is covering more than 30 square miles in northeastern Minnesota. The blaze tripling in size since it began, burning at least 3,000 acres now and prompting the evacuation of at least 75 homes or cabins in the Superior National Forest. Authorities are fighting the Greenwood Fire, as it's known, from the air and on the ground. February 2022, I visited a remote area in Lake County where the Greenwood fire burned. I was there with Lane Johnson, one of the researchers and a fire ecologist from northern Minnesota. So Lane, I'm gonna, we're going to step from this uh, huge red pine that burned and now there's just some short, these are maybe like 10 or 12 foot uh, balsam trees it looks like and these are just pretty much ob obliterated it looks like. Yep, yeah the balsam, they don't really have any uh, lower branches or branches at all on them they've completely burned and really it's like the the bark's been completely consumed as well so we're just looking at toothpicks of what was once uh kind of living christmas trees sorts and so pretty dramatic shift and you know balsam uh, on this site they did exactly what we expect them to do which is they were uh they burned hot and uh and died during the greenwood fire uh, so it's a little bit of a, a different um, response than uh, what we would expect from red pine, but that's uh, pretty standard for the ecology of balsam fir. When we look at this area here that was burned up by the Greenwood fire, and we talk about historical fires in the Boundary Waters, would this be something that historically the Boundary Waters area would see a fire like this, or where does this fit into historical fires in the Boundary Waters? Yeah, well, the, the size of the Greenwood fire uh, is, is, I would say, small to moderate compared to uh, some of the, the big historical fires that um, have been sort of reconstructed within the Boundary Waters landscape uh, by, by Myron Heinzelman and, and others. Um, 
but as far as the level of mortality that we're seeing at the the specific site we're on as far as the red and white pine uh, trees that are in the the overstory of this stand uh, i think historically we would expect there to be a, a bit more tree survivorship of those uh, of the red and white pine and uh, so, so this is just one particular spot within the greenwood footprint but as you drive along highway two here uh, and you look at the amount of mortality um, in these pockets of mature pine. For myself as a forester and ecologist, I would expect or hope that more trees would have survived the Greenwood fire in this specific site. The severe effects of the recent fire, such as Pagami Creek, Ham Lake, and the Greenwood fire, which reduced many groves of old growth pine to ashes and charred snags, illustrate the likely outcome of future fire events in the Boundary Waters region. Though a natural part of the forest cycle, the word fire for a property owner along the Gunflint Trail or other areas near and around the BWCA is not always a welcomed talking point. When referencing the 2007 Ham Lake Fire or the 2006 Cavity Lake Fire, Gunflint Trail residents often note how close the fires, particularly the Ham Lake Fire, came to damaging personal property. And indeed, for some property owners, their cabins were completely destroyed by the fire. Many of the wildfires that now have the potential to be explosive in the Boundary Waters are linked to a single day and natural disaster that occurred more than 20 years ago. During the early morning hours of July 4, 1999, a series of thunderstorms formed over portions of North and South Dakota. The storm moved east over the course of the next several hours, arriving to northeastern Minnesota that afternoon. Eventually, the Boundary Waters Blowdown, as it would be called, would last for over 22 hours, travel more than 1,300 miles at an average speed of almost 60 miles per hour, resulting in widespread devastation in both Canada and the United States. According to estimates by the U.S. Forest Service, somewhere in the vicinity of 25 million trees were blown down during the storm. As the weather system moved into northeast Minnesota during the early afternoon of July 4th, its power was unleashed on many people camping in the Boundary Waters and in other parts of Cook, Lake, and St. Louis counties. The blowdown has now created a tinderbox in the forest, which is miles and miles of fallen trees that will act like kindling if a wildfire moves through. Indeed, if a lightning strike or escaped campfire were to ignite a forest fire following a blowdown, the results can be devastating. A prescribed fire, however, could be much more manageable. It can remove some of the excess trees, preventing an accidental fire from doing more damage in the future according to all of the officials who spoke with me for this story. Regardless of its ignition source, fire can improve habitats for various wildlife species in Minnesota, including the iconic moose of the Boundary Waters. Hi, I'm Seth Moore. I'm the Director of Biology for the Grand Portage Band of Lake Superior Chippewa. Wildfire is, is fantastic for moose um, at a broad scale. And, you know, one of the challenges that moose have been facing in recent decades is that we just don't have as much wildfire because it gets suppressed very quickly after they start. So, so when we get wildfire in these public areas where it's not managed, what it's doing is it's really recycling the forest structure. 
It's producing new forest growth, first of all, which moose need to eat, but also it's helping to control some of the vectors for parasite and disease transmission that affect moose. For example, wildfire um, controls populations of winter ticks, which can be a, a strong negative factor for moose populations. It also can control slug and snail uh, populations. Slugs and sn snails are the carriers for brainworm as it's transmitted to moose. There's no question that fire and other natural events play a complex and perhaps complicated role in the boundary waters. After all, the interests of private property owners and forest managers don't always align. Johnson says their research about the history of fire in the boundary waters can hopefully assist in understanding the role fire can play and perhaps should play in the wilderness. When wilderness users or community members are are vocally opposed to prescribed fire, I think it's it's useful to kind of step back and remind people that like, this is a system that's supposed to burn. It's burned for millennia and it's going it's going to burn at some point. It's not it's not if, it's when it's gonna burn. Though their work has the support of the Forest Service and other organizations across Minnesota, Johnson and Larson also emphasize how important their research is connected to the knowledge and traditions of the Ojibwe people, like Defoe, who still live in the region. While it's possible this research could influence fire management in the BWCA, Defoe says there's something more significant happening underneath the stacks of papers and documents that Johnson and others have collected and included in their study. When Lane and others and yourself, Joe, and others get out the word about indigenous worldviews and things, I think this is what genuine consultation is all about, true humanity, how we work together and how we live together. And that's what uh, is sustainable. This is Joe Fredericks reporting. Support for Mini Culture on KFAI has been provided by the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Season six of the Mini Culture podcast is executive produced and edited by Julie Sensulo, with editing help from Ryan Dawes and Melissa Olson. I'm your host, John Gibertatios. Thanks for listening, friends. 